are in chapter 14 of Acts. We're going to continue with our Firestarter series. But before we get started into chapter 14 tonight, I'm going to do a brief, I'll try to make it brief, uh, brief recap of chapter 13. I will not start with chapter 1 and go through again. <laughs> so we'll just go back to chapter 13. But last week, um, Pastor Brad emphasized the beginning of the chapter. That's mainly where he focused because that is a very long chapter. I don't know if you've had the opportunity to read it. I hope you will, even after the recap tonight. But it's very long, and there's so much in it. You could spend years, <laughs> literally, if you were just to take it piece by piece. So um, he focused on the beginning of the chapter over the government of the church. And it was in the beginning of what we call... This is Paul's first missionary journey. You know, this is what that beginning was. When they were called, hands were laid upon them, and the Holy Spirit separated Paul and Barnabas for a purpose, and the purpose was this missionary journey that they were about to um, start on. And one thing that might be interesting to note is this first missionary journey, it did not happen until roughly, they estimate around 13 to 14 years after he was saved on the road to Damascus. So I know when we're reading Acts, it seems like all of these things just happen, one right after another. And a lot of times there's no time frame given, and so we just kind of imagine this was all shoved together in so many years. But Paul spent 13 years preparing, learning, and doing other things um, for the Lord before he was set apart for these missionary journeys. And in today's time... Paul would probably be considered like a short-term missionary. He's not what we call a missionary where he goes on the field and lives there for 20 and 25 years or 30 years in one country, but he's one of those guys that goes for two or three years and then comes off the field. So we would consider him nowadays a short-term missionary. But um, at the beginning of 13, Paul and Barnabas are set apart for this mission trip, and they begin with a pattern that is often repeated. They arrive in a town and they look for a synagogue. This was something that they did quite often. They looked for a synagogue, and they went there first to proclaim the message of Jesus. And in the town of Paphos, these names are great. You just try to work them out yourself. In the, in the town of Paphos, they encountered a Jewish sorcerer who tried to persuade the governor not to listen to Paul's message. So we're still in chapter 13. This is the beginning of their missionary journey. All right, so they go to this town. There's a Jewish sorcerer there, which is interesting because you kind of associate that more with like idol worship and things like that. So it's kind of interesting that he's Jewish. But Paul is preaching to the governor, and this sorcerer keeps interfering and trying to stop the message from going forth. And uh, so Paul, in a fashion that we can kind of see him doing it, he rebukes the sorcerer. And tells him that he's going to be blind for a time. And immediately, it says his eyes cover over and he's blind. Okay, this, when this happens, the governor sees it and he gives his life to Christ. So this, <laughs> I think I might too. If I, <laughs> if I saw somebody speak like that. And here is a sorcerer who is supposed to command, you know, the spiritual realm. And he's getting dealt a hand. And Paul's saying, no, I'm going to show you who has the real power here. And he is struck blind. And the governor comes to know Christ. That's awesome. 
that through that one miracle, we know that the governor has a lot of influence. And so I'm sure that he influenced a lot of people for Christ. So now they move on to another city, and they go to the synagogue, which is their usual custom. And they were invited to speak, and Paul begins using the Old Testament to share the gospel message. The message was to the Jews and God-fearing Gentiles. So even though he would go to a synagogue, it seems like there were always some other people there, those who were not Jews but who believed in God. And they were there hearing the message as well. And Paul uses the Old Testament. Obviously, that's all they had. So if he could take the Old Testament and share the gospel message, we certainly can do the same today. There are a lot of people who say that it's not relevant. We don't need to read it. Why do we need it? We have the New Testament. But the whole gospel message, it, the whole Old Testament just leads right up to the gospel message. It's, that's what it's about. And so we can definitely use the Old Testament to share with other people. So many people embrace the message, and they begged for them to speak again the following week. So when they did, the record crowds called some of the Jews to get jealous so they began to slander Paul and Barnabas, and they argued against what they said. So here now is a group of people coming in, and they're speaking against Paul and Barnabas. Now, when I was reading this, I thought to myself, you know, why didn't Paul just say, I'm going to strike you blind too? <laughs> I mean, you know, that's my flesh. I would have wanted to do that. I mean, he, basically, they were doing the same thing that sorcerer was doing, trying to stop the message of the gospel from going forth and being productive, and with the sorcerer, he said, God's going to strike you blind. And with these guys, he didn't do anything like that. And I was thinking, well, God, why didn't you just get them too? You know, maybe that would have uh, shut them up or something like that. But God knows best, doesn't he? <laughs> it's a good thing we don't operate in our flesh like that. But um, it is here that Paul begins his emphasis on ministry to the Gentiles because of the continued rejection by the Jews to the gospel message. That doesn't mean that he stopped sharing. We're going to see that again. He goes to another town, and again, he goes into the synagogue. But his emphasis is shifting here, and he has told the Jews, you've rejected this message so often, now it's coming to the Gentiles. And the Gentiles were overjoyed that this message was now coming to them. Um, the Jews were not so much. And when I say Jews, I'm obviously not meaning all Jews. There were many Jews who believed, many Jews who would hear the message in the synagogues and believe what God was um, speaking to them. So I'm trying just, I'm just saying the Jews, but a lot of them were just uh, Jewish leaders even that would stir up the crowd. So um, anyway, because these people came against them, instead of doing what I would have liked to do in my flesh and striking them blind too, Paul and Barnabas were actually run out of town. They left, okay, because they knew it was getting bad. And very often, the anger these people had towards them, they ended up wanting to kill them. And so they left town and continued on their journey. So that is just a very brief recap, very brief recap of chapter 13. But it is the beginning of their first missionary journey. So how would you like that to be the first beginning of your missionary journey? <laughs> Good and bad, you know? It's kind of, yeah, I like that part about, you know, this and this not so much. Um, this was a pattern that often is going to follow Paul and Barnabas and later on the other apostles that go forth. You'll see this happens all the time, nothing new to them. So this was certainly getting their feet wet in this area. So now we move on to chapter 14. All right, so in chapter 14, 1 through 5, we're going to notice this pattern again. They go to the next town, they preach, 
people believe, some Jews get jealous, people want to kill them, and they leave. That is absolutely a pattern that happens all the time in these towns they're going to. But we're going to start with verses 1 through 5, and they've got it up there for you. It says, the same thing happened in Iconium. Paul and Barnabas went to the Jewish synagogue and preached with such power that a great number of both Jews and Greeks became believers. Some of the Jews, however, spurned God's message and poisoned the minds of the Gentiles against Paul and Barnabas. But the apostles stayed there a long time, preaching boldly about the grace of the Lord. And the Lord proved their message was true by giving them power to do miraculous signs and wonders. But the people of the town were divided in their opinion about them. Some sided with the Jews and some with the apostles. Then a mob of Gentiles and Jews, along with their leaders, decided to attack and stone them. When the apostles learned of it, they fled to the region of Lyconia, to the town of Lystra and Derby and the surrounding area, and there they preached the good news. So absolutely happens again what happens in the first part. They come in, they preach, some people love it, some people get angry about it, and the people that get angry can't just let it go. They want to take it to the extreme. They want to run them out of town. They want to kill them. And in this instance, again, Paul and Barnabas, using wisdom, they leave this town and move on to the next, and they get to Lystra. Verses 8 through 10, if you'll jump down there with me, verses 8 through 10 says, While they were in Lystra, Paul and Barnabas come upon a man with crippled feet. He had been that way from birth, so he had never walked. He was sitting and listening as Paul preached. Looking straight at him, Paul realized he had faith to be healed. So Paul called to him in a loud voice, Stand up! And the man jumped to his feet and started walking. That is an awesome miracle, isn't it? And it was so awesome that the Gentiles in this town thought that Barnabas was Zeus or Jupiter. If you have a King James Version, it'll say Jupiter, and that's okay. And Paul was Hermes, or I never say this right, Mercurius, I think, or Mercury, if you want to say it that way. <laughs> it's easier. So they thought they were the gods that they worshipped come down in human form to be in their town. And in their mythology or their, their religion that they use, this had happened before, and they weren't received well, and there was punishment. So they thought, this is the gods come down to us. We had better honor them. And so they immediately began to prepare to sacrifice animals to them because there was a temple to Zeus there. And I mentioned Zeus and Jupiter. Ju Zeus is Greek, Jupiter is Roman, but they're the same, supposed to be the, like the same entity, the same with Hermes and Merc Mercurius. So here these people are, this is such astounding miracle. They see this man who they've obviously probably known all their life. They've probably seen him begging or um, something of that sort because he would have had no way probably to make an income. They've seen him all his life. And here these two men show up and they don't just pray for him. They say, stand up. Paul looks at him. He's very authoritative. He just says, stand up. And it seems like the man just jumps to his feet and says, okay. Because the Bible says that Paul knew he had the faith to be healed. And it astounded them. And they began to prepare a sacrifice for Paul and Barnabas, thinking that they were the gods. 
But Paul and Barnabas at first maybe didn't realize what was going on, but as soon as they realized what was going on, as soon as they realized these people were about to worship them and sacrifice animals to them, it says that they tore their clothes, basically in horror and grief, that these people would do this, that they would want to worship them instead of the God that they were trying to get them to to worship, trying to get them to turn to. So Paul and Barnabas were horrified, and they begged the people not to do this thing. So we're going to see what Paul says to them in verses 15 through 18. He says, friends, why are you doing this? We are merely human beings, just like you. We have come to bring you the good news that you should turn from these worthless things and turn to the living God who made heaven and earth, the sea, and everything in them. In the past, he permitted all the nations to go their own ways, but he never left them without evidence of himself and his goodness. For instance, he sends you rain and good crops and gives you food and joyful hearts. But even with these words, Paul and Barnabas could scarcely restrain the people from sacrificing to them. You know, right here, Paul, he doesn't start quoting the Old Testament to these people. He's very, he's very sensitive to his crowd, to the people that he's talking to. And he uses things that they're going to understand because Zeus was their chief god. And Zeus was the one, I mean, we've all, well, maybe maybe seen the movies. Zeus was the one who was supposed to have control of the skies and the rain and these things like that, the lightning bolt, you know, as we associate. All of these things he was supposed to have control over, even, um, you know, those kinds of things and crops, things like that. And Paul uses what they know, and he says, no. He said, the God I'm talking about, he said, he's the one that gives you these things. He said, he's the one who sends rain and good crops. He gives you food and joyful hearts. So he's trying to draw the people's attention and say, you're worshiping false gods, and you're worshiping people who cannot give you any of these things. It's God, the Almighty God, the one we sang about tonight, the great God, the only God. He's the one who provides all these things. And he doesn't need lots of little gods running around. See, Hermes, he had a whole different job. Okay, he, he was a messenger, and he had all these other things that he was supposed to take care of. But the great God, the God that we serve, he took care of all of it. See, he didn't, we, need, we didn't need all this pantheon of gods to be able to handle mankind and all that was there. We serve a God who can handle all of that on his own because he made us. And Paul is trying to get them to grasp the significance of this. And yet, even with that, they were in such a frenzy that he could barely restrain them from sacrificing. So after this, there was, that was a brief interruption. This was not the normal Okay, remember that pattern? They don't usually go into a town and people want to worship them, <laughs> even with signs and wonders that come. But this was different. But after that, and I don't know how long, I'm, I'm, you know, when you read the story again, you think that they're in the middle of wanting to sacrifice and they're doing all this and then those Jews show up again. Okay, we, that's kind of how it reads, but it may not have been. It could have been days later. We don't know. But after this, the pattern resumes. Jews arrive from Antioch and Iconium. Remember, that's the places that they had been already. So these Jews made it a point to follow them to the next town. They couldn't be content to run them out of their own town. They followed them to the next towns. And they started in again, trying to persuade the people 
that their message was false, and they succeeded in a large degree, so much so that this crowd who before had seen them speak to a crippled man from birth, and he was raised up, and they wanted to sacrifice to them, now they want to stone them. That's how fickle people can be, right? We saw that with Jesus. It's nothing new. It happened with Jesus. It happened with Paul and Barnabas. These same people who were ready to worship them are now ready to stone them. And so the people actually do drag Paul out of the city. It doesn't say Barnabas. I'm thinking Paul because he was the chief speaker. And it does mention that in the, in the um, chapter that he was the chief speaker. That's why they thought he was Hermes. And so maybe because he was the one that was more vocal, it says they dragged Paul out of the city and they stoned him. And they thought he was dead. So they left. And it says, the scripture says the believers were standing around him. And Paul gets up, not dead. And unlike myself, he goes back into the city. <laughs> I think I would have turned around and, and beat it out of there. <laughs> <You know? laughs> Why go back into the same people who just tried to kill me? But Paul was not afraid, and he went back in with the believers. And I don't know if anybody saw him, if they understood that he had not died. I really don't know. The Bible doesn't go into that. But it does say the next day that Paul and Barnabas moved on, and um, they actually moved on, but they didn't go on further, establishing more churches. At this point, they started to turn around. And they started going back to all the churches that they had just established because this was, the, this was the point of this missionary journey. They would go into a town. They would share the gospel. New believers were there. And now these new believers would start a church, just a body of believers meeting probably in a home, and they would begin a church. They didn't know anything. They had just heard the gospel for the first time. If they had Jews there, then maybe the Jews would know the Old Testament so they could speak to them from the Old Testament. But they were just babies. This was all new. So Paul and Barnabas turned around and they made a trek back to all of the cities they had just come from. All of those same cities that had just run them out, tried to stone them, stoned them, caused all kinds of problems for them. They went right back into those cities for those new believers. They knew those new believers needed to be encouraged. They needed to be strengthened. And it also said that they appointed elders over the church who would help lead them forward. So they were helping them get established. And while they were there, they also reminded them that to follow Christ, they would suffer. Because I'm sure they had already begun. If they ran Paul and Barnabas out of town, they weren't too keen then on Christians and hearing the message. So here are these new baby believers who are going to get now the brunt of the persecution that's coming because they've decided to believe the message. And so Paul and Barnabas turn around and they go and they encourage, they uplift, and they strengthen those baby, baby churches. And they do it at the risk again of their own lives. They know they're going back to places where the people hate them already. But they do this, and this is the end. They do that trek, and they end up back at Antioch, where Pastor started in chapter 13, where the hands were laid on them, and they were sent out. And they ended up back at that church, and they gave a report of all that God had done on their first missionary journey. And this journey, they believe, took about a year, nine months to a year. So it wasn't, uh, it wasn't something that they just, you know, a couple days in this town and then a couple days in that town. They, they stayed in these towns 
They loved these people. They grew to know these people. And believers were birthed. It was a part you'll see later on as Paul is writing letters to these churches how much he loves them, how much he cares about them because he's invested in them and their lives. And he goes back and they give a report. And any missionary, this is considered furlough. You get to come home. You get to tell everybody what happened and try to rest, but not really. So you're actually just going to the different churches and letting everybody know what happened on your missionary trip and what's been going on. So that's kind of what they did here. And this is where we find them at the end of chapter 14. So that's a quick, that was not quick, but it was like 20 minutes recap. (laughs) So anyway, so this series that Pastor has us doing on Wednesday night is called Fire Starters. And Paul and Barnabas truly are fire starters, aren't they? We've looked at the day of Pentecost. We looked at the beginning of the church where Peter stands up. He's bold and in the second chapter and the, the believers are bold and they get filled with the Holy Spirit. We've seen them. Um, we've already, they've already been flogged for the sharing the gospel, told not to preach about Jesus. And they say, you know what, forget it. We're going to do it anyway. And they get beats. They've been thrown in jail. We see um, Stephen, our first martyr, and then we see James. He's beheaded. Peter's put in jail. An angel delivers him out of jail. They are truly fire starters. Everywhere they go, something happens. You know, when fire, when there's fire, something happens. It's something we're familiar with here living in Oklahoma. You know, if you watch Marty Logan like I do sometimes, you know, he'll be following a fire out there and you're riveted to seeing what's going to happen. People are drawn to things like that. Fire brings a change, good or bad, it brings a change. So they are fire starters. Things always happen. In every town they went, the match was struck and a flame came to life and it spread. And a local body of believers was what was left behind. So they were the fire starters. So I believe, truly I believe, that we'd all like to say that we're fire starters. Or at least I believe we would like to be fire starters. Have you ever thought or said to yourself, um, I wish the church was like it was in the days of Acts, when you read Acts and you're thinking, man, I wish the church was like that, or... I wish I was like those apostles. I wish I would just go out there and, you know, tell that man to stand up and he just stands up on his feet. And I know that still happens, so I'm not saying that doesn't happen. But it just seems like it happened more often then because it's it's recorded for us. And so sometimes we get that yearning like, wow, I wish that this happened all the time, everywhere we went, you know. And we get that yearning in us. I think that any true believer would have that as we read the book. There's a longing there. And we want to see those same kinds of signs and wonders like the disciples. And we want to see people get saved like that. I think that's a true yearning of our heart. So what true believer doesn't want to see those things? If you you think to yourself, eh, you might check if you're really, (laughs) you, you might check your relationship with the Lord if you could care less, really. If there's nothing there that says, yes, Lord, then you really, we should check our heart. But the thing is, when we think long and hard about it, if we do think about it at all, then I think we must be willing to admit that many times we are not ready to pay the price they did. 
And that's really what it comes down to. We're not ready. We are not ready to give God our all. And I can't say that about every person here. I don't know your heart. I don't know anybody's heart in here. Only God knows our hearts. So only knew, he knows who's ready to give his all. But I know that in, in studying this chapter, I had to examine my heart. And still on the way to church, examining my heart, going, God, what am I holding back from you? What am I keeping back from you? So I'm, I'm not even, they paid a great price to see the things that they saw. And a lot of us were not ready to give God our all. And I'm not even talking about necessarily about suffering physically. There are plenty of things that we hold tight that stop us from going all in for God. So the question tonight is, can we say where the Spirit leads, I will follow? I think we'd all like to say it, but in all honesty, I don't think we all can say it. So that's what we're going to talk just a little bit about tonight. There's not much time left, but just a little bit tonight. Because these guys were the fire starters, and we can be those fire starters. I believe God wants us to be fire starters. He hasn't called us to sit back and go, oh, I would like it to be that way. Oh, I would love to that to happen. He's calling us, and he's saying, why isn't it like that? Why won't you submit to me? Why won't you? Why won't you? And sometimes we think that we've got, yeah, we get it all to God, and then he picks on a part. And I'm like, ooh, I don't want to give that up. <laughs> so we're going to just look at a couple of those things tonight. So are we willing, like the disciples, are we willing to follow the leading of the Holy Spirit when it leads to physical and or mental persecution? Okay, they obviously went through mental persecution because people were harassing them. Even if they didn't physically touch them, even if they didn't physically stone them, they harassed them. They followed them from town to town coming after and trying to tell everybody, nah, don't listen to them, stirring them up, making the crowd angry. So they certainly had to deal with that type of persecution. And of course, we know from reading in the chapters, they also had to deal with physical persecution. And as Pastor said, probably none of us have had to deal with that type of persecution here. But the Holy Spirit called them to this trip. You remember that? He's the one. It said the Holy Spirit set them apart for this purpose. And the Holy Spirit knew that they would face this harassment. He knew when he called them that Paul would be stoned that day. And yet he called them because he knew that they would be willing to go. I don't know how I would react. I, I, I hope and pray I would say yes. But if God said, Miranda... Today, I'm calling you to this missionary journey, and this is what's going to happen to you while you're there. And he started to lay out all these bad things. I, I don't know how I would feel about that, <laughs> okay? Hopefully, and I pray always that I would say, yes, God, I'll go. And it may be in his graciousness he doesn't tell us what's ahead. But he knew, and he called these men because he knew they were willing. He knew that whatever came physically, harassment, they would say, yes, Lord, I'm still ready. They didn't turn around. We didn't read this part, but John Mark went with them. At some point, he joined them, and at some point, he left. We don't know why he left, but there's lots of speculation that he couldn't handle this trip. And later on, it causes a big rift between Paul and Barnabas. So, you know, maybe not everybody can handle that. We don't always know why God allows things to happen specifically like this. Pastor had talked about that. We don't know why. 
God allowed James to die, but he saved Peter that day. We don't know those specifics. We don't know why he blinded the sorcerer, but he let all the other guys go so far as to stone Paul. We don't know those things, but we know that mankind has chosen evil, and so we know we're going to face it. When we face evil and we stand in the face of evil and we take a stand, we know we're going to get kicked back. We know we're going to face it in some form or another. And the question is, are we ready? Are we willing? God did not promise an easy road when completing his work. In fact, Paul told the new believers when he turned around and went back to those churches that suffering would be expected if they were to follow Christ. And he does promise, but he does promise fulfillment in him. So it's not like a downer message, like, oh, yeah, you're going to suffer. No, it's an awesome message because God says, my way is higher than your way. I know the plans I have. I know all of these things, and you just trust me. But are we really ready to trust him in all of those things? Are we willing, number two, are willing to follow the leading of the Holy Spirit when we have to put our own egos on the back burner and wait for God to uplift us? See, that's, that's not physical persecution or mental, but... Is something we struggle with. And if we don't think we struggle with pride, that's, an, that's a big sin. Adam and Eve struggled with that one. That was, <laughs> that was their downfall. Pride in wanting to be like God, wanting to know what God knows, wanting to know good and evil. So Paul and Barnabas are faced in one town with people wanting to worship them. I mean, they've been run out of the other towns, people hating them, people wanting to kill them. And they come to this town, and the people are wanting to worship them as gods. I don't know if there was any kind of temptation there. You know, I don't know how I would have felt about that. Even for a brief moment, thought, finally, somebody appreciates <laughs> what we're saying here. Wrong message, obviously, but they're not trying to kill me. <laughs> you know, I don't know. And nobody's ever going to worship me as a god. Okay, I'm not going to go into a town and people, oh, look at her, you know. That's not going to happen. But we still have egos. We still have those parts of us that want people to appreciate and tell us how good we are. And we want the approval of man. That's a natural response of the flesh is to want the approval of man. So Jesus also faced the same temptation in the garden, didn't he? I mean, in the, in the wilderness, didn't he? When Satan tempted him and said, I can give you all the kingdoms of the world right now if you just bow to me. Instant. No waiting. I can give it to you right now. And that's what Paul and Barnabas had before them. They could have instant success, instant worship, instant approval from those men and treated like gods just for that moment if they would have just let it go. But they didn't, of course, and neither did Jesus. So we probably won't ever have to anybody worship us. But are we willing to put aside the praises of man and wait for God in his time to lift us up and let, let God be the one who praises us, who tells us that we're doing a good job. You know, you may never have anybody tell you you're doing a good job, but will you keep serving God anyway when you're out there and you're serving him and serving him and nobody seems to notice and nobody tells you you're doing an awesome job but they don't pat you on your back? Are you going to get angry and bitter and say, well, God, this is not worth it. Nobody's telling me anything. I'm quit. I'm done. You know, people do that. And I'm not saying that we can't give praise where praise is due. But see, when you let it go to your head and you start getting a big head, <laughs> then we've gone too far. So we really do have to check our motives. Why are we doing what we're doing? Are we going to follow God if our egos have to take a back burner? 
Are we willing to follow the leading of the Holy Spirit when he directs us to move in signs and wonders? Now that, that's what most of us kind of want, right? We're like, oh yeah, if he tells us we're going to go on this great mission trip and we're going we're to see all these signs and wonders happening in every town we go to, sign me up, God, I'm there, okay? Forget the other stuff, but I'm there for that part. That's the part we get excited about. But you know that there are some people who may not get excited about that part. You know why? Because it costs them something. If you're an introvert, anybody introverted in here? Oh, there's got to be some introverts in here. (laughs) Okay, good. (laughs) All right, if you're introverted, that right there can scare you to death. Because it makes you step out of your comfort zone. And if God calls you, and can you imagine being like Paul. You're just walking through Walmart, you know, and you see somebody and they're in a wheelchair and God gives you the discernment and he says, I'm going to pick on you, Brandy, because you're right there. And you raised your hand. (laughs) Okay. And he says, Brandy, tell him to get up out of the wheelchair. You know, you're like, what? No way. Maybe you'd go, okay, I don't know. You know, if you're willing to follow God and trust him in everything, But, man, that takes some guts because you're not just going over there and going, God, I pray that you will heal him so that he, you would be like bold and saying, get up out of the wheelchair. That's what Paul did. He said, get up. You know, that takes guts and it takes the boldness of the Holy Spirit. So when we think about moving in that way, we can actually shy back from God and go, no, don't use me like that, God. I'll go clean the bathroom. We'll do that for you, but don't use me like that. But what if God calls you to those things? He says he wants those things for us. He wants us to be bold. He wants us to pray. He wants us to have authority. So, you know, um, we, have to, we have to be willing to step out. But you know what else comes before those signs and wonders? And that's preaching of the word every single time. Preaching of the word came first. The signs and wonders backed it up. So we have to be willing to open our mouth. Oh, there's another one. I don't want to open my mouth. I don't want to have to go and tell people about Jesus. It's easy if they start the conversation. If they bring it up, then you jump right in there. Okay, they open that door. But, man, it's a lot harder if you have to start that conversation. If you have to be the one to get in there and break open that door and just start in. But see, the preaching of the word comes first. Before all those signs and wonders. Because those signs and wonders were to back up the truth of the word. So are we willing to let, the God, let God use us in those ways? And lastly, are we willing to go to those who are spiritually dead, those who are not like us, those who do not look like us, and those who are not on the same oh, political side? It's a no-no these days, but whatever. Are we willing to go to anybody? It doesn't matter what they look like. It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter what color they are. It doesn't matter what part of the world they're from. It doesn't matter if they're a man dressed like a woman or a woman dressed like a man. It does not matter. When God says, you go share the gospel, are we ready to go? Are we ready to open our mouth? Are we ready to love them enough to share the gospel with them? And again, it can be scary. And we can actually say no. I know that there have been times when God has prompted me. And then I thought, no, I don't have the time for that. I'm in a hurry. I'm doing something else. And I miss it. And then I'm like, then I have to go back and repent because I knew God told me to go do something. And I missed an opportunity that God had for me because 
I was too scared or I was too busy or I didn't want to take the time. I didn't want to put myself out there and face any rejection or whatever the reason may have been that day. I believe we've probably all been there at some point. But are we willing to put ourselves out there and go to those people? Again, we, we get used to church people. They're like us. You know, you come in here, you're safe. Everybody's kind of like you. You know, you're not too crazy, you know. But you go out in the world, some, you know, and you get surrounded by people who are not like you, and it can get pretty crazy out there. And you have to be willing to love those people. Doesn't matter who it is. Doesn't matter. We got to share the gospel. You know, I was thinking tonight when I prayed for President Biden. I'm going to go there. <laughs> we got a lot of people who, because Christians, who probably couldn't share the gospel with him because out of one side of their mouth, they're talking and they can't share the gospel. We should never be that way. I don't care if you like them or not. We've got to be able to be in a place where we can share the gospel with anybody God brings across our path. And we've got to be able to step out of our comfort zone. So are we willing to put it all aside? That's the question for tonight. Are we willing to put it all aside? Family, friends, home, job, whatever it may be. If God calls us to do something, if he calls us to go, if he calls us to say, if he calls us and says, do this, do this, do this, are we willing to say yes? Do our families hold us back? Do our grandkids hold us back? Our kids, are we so stuck that we can't move if we need to move? Well, our house, our things, our possessions, we'd all like to say none of those things would hold us back until God says, do it, and then you're faced with having to sell everything you have and move away from everything you know. And I'm not saying God's going to call everybody to do that. But were you willing? Are you willing to give up everything? And that's what I want tonight because these disciples were ready and willing and did give up everything for the cross of Christ. And that is why they were fire starters. That is why when they walked into a town, they turned that town upside down everywhere they went, good or bad, <laughs> there was a reaction. And if we want those same things, we have to be willing to say yes to God in everything. No hold, no holding anything back, nothing. And if we can't say that, then we really need to say, God, why can't I give that to you? Why can't I let go of that? Why can't I? Is it, you know, whatever, a, whatever excuse we use, Moses tried to use the fact that he couldn't talk good. We're, you know, we, we're in good company when it comes to excuses. There were a lot of people that had excuses for why they couldn't do what God called them to do. But we want to be bold and we want to be fire starters. This is not the time of life and it's challenged me again I'm you know, trying to examine my own heart. God, is there things I'm holding back from you, things I'm keeping from you, things that are stopping me from being bold for you, to, for, to give you everything that I've got? And if there is, then i got to ask myself, why? Why can't I give it to you, God? And then let the Holy Spirit come in and do his work, a work that only he can do. So I challenge you tonight to examine your heart and allow the Holy Spirit to examine your heart and ask yourself, are you a fire starter? Do you want to be a fire starter? And if so, Lord, is there anything I'm holding back from you? Anything at all that I hold tighter than you? And then tonight, you know, I just challenge you to give it to him. And he will use you. And you can be used like these men. Amen? You'll go.